Father, we do thank you as we come to look at your word this morning and I pray, uh, guide us as we look at it and speak into our hearts. Uh, Father, it's a difficult topic um, but a very exciting one at the same time. Um, We pray, come Lord Jesus, even today and we ask that in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to look at the topic of Jesus and the end of the world. And just to get us thinking about it, I want you to have a look at this picture uh, that you can see here. And as I was reading this week, this picture um, came to me on the internet. And it's a very striking photo. And I wonder how you feel, what responses you get when you see that. Um, You see a young boy, obviously very innocent. Um, It looks like it's shot in the 1950s. Uh, And there's kind of an innocence, a cuteness about it, but yet... Um, I wonder, do you feel that that's a very old-fashioned way to think about the Christian faith? Uh, And no doubt there were people who used to go out and preach on the streets and say the end of the world is nigh. Um, I wonder if you feel sorry for the child who's been indoctrinated. And let me just say, it's not what I would want to have my kids doing at that level. And so you get mixed feelings. Um, And I raise that because I think when we come to the topic of the end of the world, Uh, we often consign it to the rubbish bin um, along with other, you know, teachings from people who are kind of um, fundamentalists uh, involved in sex. That's sects, not sex, S-E-C-T-S, and cults. And yet we come to a passage today that talks about the end. And I want to say a couple of things as we reflect on this topic of Jesus and the end of the world before we actually look at the passage. Uh, The first one is this. Uh, Just to give you kind of a a short, very potted history of apocalyptic thinking. Now, apocalyptic just means the apocalypse, which is the word that uh, we use to talk about the end of the world and the apocalypse. And ever since Jesus left the world in terms of his resurrection, he came back to life, conquered death, fully alive, he rose and he went back to heaven, there have been people predicting his return. Now, it's because he said he would one day return. Now, in 156 AD, there was a fellow called Montanus and he got very excited reading about Jesus' return and he thought that God spoke to him and said to him uh, that Jesus would return and the new Jerusalem would come crashing down from the heavens. It would land in Phrygia, which just happened to be where he lived, funny that, and uh, the new world would begin. People started to give up work. Uh, There was a great sense of interest and excitement uh, because Montanus pronounced that he himself was an incarnation of the Holy Spirit and speaking directly from God to people. But as you can work out, obviously it never happened. And history is littered with people like it. There was a German guy who was called Thuringia uh, at 1000 AD, roughly, uh, he was again predicting that Jesus would return. It produced an apocalyptic mayhem um, and there was a, a sect of people who followed him were, which were basically flagellating themselves uh, trying to bring on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in the 19th century, there was a guy called William Miller. He was a 19th century evangelical American. He came from Baptist stock and he again felt God had spoken to him and that uh, Jesus would appear. It was in October 19, uh, 1844. It didn't happen. And out of the, if I can say, ashes of that prediction, you have the Seventh-day Adventist Church began. It's fascinating. You've probably met Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they, not just once, but I understand at least nine times 
over the last 140 years have predicted that Jesus would return. Uh, they still managed to kind of uh, incarnate as a different version and say, yes, well, we got it wrong, but... And so the, the world is littered with people who have said Jesus would return. Now, I throw into the mix also American evangelicalism, which is still current today. You've got notions that Jesus will return uh, secretly and privately and there'll be a rapture. And when the rapture occurs, those who are believers and followers of the Lord Jesus will be secretly snatched up and those who are left behind, hence the title of the famous book series, sold over 40 million books in America, um, will be left in the chaos as Satan takes control of the world. Now, I'm not someone who follows that scheme of reading the Bible. And so you've got these views. And what do you make of them? Um, I think one of the effects is it discredits the notion that the world will end and that Jesus will return. Uh, it's a sign of people who are extremists, fundamentalists, or you name it. So that's the first thing I want to say. There's no doubt a history of thinking on this topic that I think puts people off thinking uh, and actually believing what the Bible has to say. Second thing is if I give you a very, very brief history of history. In other words, how do you view history? Uh, if we were here 2,000 years ago and we're in the Greco-Roman Empire, uh, the Greeks had a very different view of history to us. They had a cyclical view of history. Um, think of the seasons of life. You've got summer, you've got autumn, you've got winter, you've got spring. And we cycle through those in life and we understand that's the experience of life in this world. You have your summer when the sun comes out, you have your winter when the sun has gone away, but yet you know it will come back to summertime and spring comes, the flowers come out. History, they said, uh, is not driven by God or humanity, it's driven by fate. And fate drives us so that there are just cycles that history goes through. Uh, there is kind of no beginning, there's no end. Uh, there just is, different periods. Um, the Christian faith took a very different view, starting with Augustine, I'll come back to that. Um, but post, if I can say, the Reformation and in the kind of um, era from about the 18th century on, um, as humanism spread, um, they discredited the notion that God was in control of history and rather thought that humanity um, could improve the world be it through culture, education, whatever. And so you had different versions of kind of a progress view of history, that history was getting better and better until we kind of reached a state of enlightenment. Now, if you talk to scientists today, they'll say, well, actually the world will eventually just blow up, um, as stars do. And into that, the Christian view of history is quite different. The Christian view of history says there is a very definite beginning. God created the world. Uh, there is a story that flows. It's the story of God's dealing with humanity. At the centre of this story is the coming and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because at that point, God steps into history to redeem people and call people back to himself. And lastly, there is an end to history as we know it. There is a goal to history. Now, this is not a meaningless world that we live in that just cycles through different seasons of life where we're captive to faith. And we're not just getting better and better. Actually, there is a goal to history and it's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when all things will be made new in him and history is consumed. And you might say the beginning is the end because Christians believe actually there is a new world coming. 
and the beginning will start at the end. And so the end brings a beginning. And we come to a passage that is really talking about that reality, which leads me to my third little point of introduction. Um, how do we view this passage? It's no doubt a difficult passage. Um, some passages I get to look at and read and reflect on and they're not too hard to work out. Uh, you can read it and you can make sense of it, but there's no doubt this passage uh, is not the easiest to look at. And this is what's called Jesus' apocalyptic teaching. Apocalyptic being about the end of the world. Now when you go through the Gospels, you've got Matthew who's got a version of it, you've got Mark who's got a version of it, and you've got Luke who's got a version of it. Uh, and they've all got different things to add or contribute or say, and so they're all different with their own take on it. And we're just going to look at Luke's today without contrasting and comparing with Matthew and Mark. I take it they all, if I can say, align. But they've all got something significant to say. But the thing that's striking about it is this. The discussion begins with a discussion about the temple. That's where Jesus begins the teaching, but it's definitely not where the teaching ends. And so as you go through, you ask yourself the question, what really is he saying here? Uh, it doesn't seem to quite add up some of the things and how do you reconcile them together? I take it like one of the more difficult ones is uh, all these things will be fulfilled before you pass away. Uh, but obviously the end of the world has not passed away. We're still here. The disciples are dead. Jesus has not returned. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, it's time to kind of engage our brains. I've been wrestling with this uh, all week, working out how do I try and make it simple enough to understand but yet not miss the depth of what is there. So we're at page 1042 and I'm going to start off from reading at verse 5 and I've got three things I'd like to say. The first is this, the reality of the end. Verse 5, some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. As I said, the discussion starts with the temple. Now, the temple, there is no doubt, was the centrepiece for how God related in the Old Testament to his people. It was a very significant building. And so, in the history of the Old Testament and the people of Israel, it took on this very significant place. They met with God as he came down in the temple that began with the tabernacle. It was then the temple made permanent. And this temple that's being reflected on is the second temple. The first one that Solomon built had already been destroyed. It was rebuilt by Herod and they had this temple, this meeting place with God. And people would go there on pilgrims. A couple of times a year there would be great significant occasions there was regular sacrifices and it's the place you went to meet with God. It's the place where forgiveness was found because of the sacrificial system. And it was a, a very, very central part of the people of God's understanding of how they connected with God. And the disciples look at it and they're remarking about how beautiful it is and Jesus says uh, very sharply, coolly, well, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And you can imagine the disciples' jaws dropping. What? It's going to be destroyed? Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Verse 8, he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Now, what strikes me first up is, um, Jesus is saying there will be an end, and it was tied 
to the destruction of the temple. And I think what Jesus is saying is in the first instance there will be an end to Judaism as they knew it in that day. There'll be an end, if I can say, to the notion of God's people being called Israel. The people of God, Israel, were his people. He had bound them to himself in pro- with promises. But Jesus is saying that reality is about to end. This temple that is so significant in the life of the people of God, it is over, it will be destroyed. The end is coming. But as you read on, it becomes complicated. Um, watch out that you are not deceived. Well, yes, that's not too hard to work out. But then in verse 9 he says, you're going to hear of wars and uprisings. Verse 10 he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, there will be famines, there will be pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now you think about just the history that was taking place in that day with the Roman Empire. There were nations that had risen against nations. You had the Greco-Roman Empire. Uh, The Greeks had come, Alexander the Great. You had Rome come in. Now those things don't happen in a decade. They happen over longer periods of time. And yet Jesus in the first instance appears just to be talking about a temple and we know, and we'll come to this, the temple was destroyed in AD 70, just a few decades later. Uh, The time period required for nations to rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, uh, that's over a far longer period of time. And so even at the beginning in talking about that there is an end to the temple and with that I'm saying Judaism and Israel as the people of God, there is a bigger canvas that's being painted by the Lord Jesus, a bigger end that is coming. Yes, there's an end to Israel and the temple, but there's actually a bigger end that's going to take place. And suddenly the focus appears to have switched from a local picture to the picture of an event preceded by global events. And there's no doubt when you think of kingdoms rising and falling, you think of the current world history, what is one of the great kingdoms of the world that is rising? Is it not China? Uh, What is one great kingdom of the world that is creaking and groaning? With all due respect to my friends from North America, is that not North America in some way, shape or form? Just last year, fears of great collapse. Now that didn't happen in a decade, did it? Uh, There's a whole process of events that are taking place over years. And when you think of kingdoms and nations, you're thinking far broader than just one people group with one building. There'll be natural disasters, verse 11. There'll be signs from heaven. And when you get to the end of the passage and this discourse, verse 35, all who live on the face of the earth will be unable to escape it. There's this global picture. And he talks about there'll be a localised destruction of Jerusalem if you're in the country, don't go into the city. But yet by the end, it's actually, this affects everyone. And so what is clear as Jesus begins this passage is the temple and what it stood for is coming to an abrupt end. There is no doubt. And when you get to the New Testament, they will talk in these tones. There is neither Jew nor Gentile anymore. Who are the people of God? They're those who are 
in Christ. But you also see that these events, the coming of the Lord Jesus, was not just for Israel. It was for the world. And the canvas Jesus paints, yes, at the centre is what's happening with Israel. But the ramifications of his death and his resurrection and his return affect everything. In other words, there's an end spoken of locally for what was then the people of God and a reconstituting of who they are. But there's an end spoken for all of us, the end of the world. And you look ahead to verse 25, have a look with me. There'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehension of what's coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken and at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now the Son of Man, uh, if you're new to biblical reading and understanding, and we're really glad you're here, um, we don't, well, I'm not saying that to put people down anyway, um, the Son of Man is a name that Jesus took upon himself and there's a very significant reference to the Son of Man in the book of Daniel. Let me read it to you. Um, the book of Daniel spoke of the end of the world in many ways and in chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 it says this, In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And there's no coincidence that Jesus picks up that phrase, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Um, he, for those who know their Old Testament, he is tapping into that understanding. Uh, there is one coming who rules the world, who is over all tribes, all languages, all nations. And this is the great end, when he returns in power for everyone who waits for him. Everyone, not just Jews. Friends, there is an end coming. The end of Israel and the destruction of the temple was a sign to show that God ruled but also God was saving a far bigger and grander group of people that are neither Jew nor Gentile but that this Lord Jesus who is in control will one day return, the Son of Man who has all authority and the end will come. Which leads me to my second point. The reality of the end coming to the temple, to the world. Sorry, jump ahead. When does the end come? Well, firstly, the end comes to the temple. Um, look at verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. Now, we read that and think, well, that's obvious, the city was going to be destroyed. Well, if you were in that day and you were in the country and a neighbouring country came to invade you and you're a country person, where would you go? Well, you would be not safe in the country. 
you would be safe, hopefully, in the city because the city had walls to keep the ravaging armies out. And so the country people literally would come into the city when armies came to attack and they would seek protection behind the city walls. And Jesus was saying here, literally to the Christians, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, which did take place in AD 70, you'll know its desolation is near. In other words, don't have this, you know, faint or or, or silly hope that the, the, the city will be able to defend itself. It won't. It'll get destroyed. And so if you're in Judea, actually do the opposite. Run to the mountains. Uh, If you're in the city, get out. If you're in the country, whatever you do, don't go back to that city. It's going to get nuked. Get out of there. Why? For this is a time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. You see, the people of God, Israel, in the Old Testament, in essence, had rejected the coming of their king. And Luke has said that in chapter 19. You do not even recognise the time of God's appearing. And judgment is falling upon them. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. You've got these little kids, you're pregnant. How do you run and get away? There'll be great distress. They'll fall by the sword and they'll be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So the first end came in AD 70, we know that. And I take it Luke wrote this before that had occurred. He was predicting it, Jesus predicted it, and it happened. That was the first end. But as I said, there's a second end that appears after this. There'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity. People will faint from terror, apprehension for what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. In other words, there's a greater end coming to the one than was spoken about just with the destruction of the temple. It relates to the coming of the Son of Man in power with glory, which we know hasn't happened. And when these things begin to take place, stand and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, it's worth noting there's no mention of a rapture or a secret return of the Lord Jesus. And I've got very good friends who hold to this view uh, and I don't want to be disrespectful to them in their faith. I just cannot see it in the scriptures. Uh, When the Lord Jesus returns, uh, it is a cosmic event. It is not just a global event, it's a cosmic event. Um, signs in the sun and the moon and the star, the whole creation will herald his coming. And the end appears, which as I said is the beginning at one level. But what is the time of this end? Well, in short, we don't know when Jesus will return. He does say three things. Uh, If you look at verse 8, He says, watch out that you are not deceived for many will come in my name claiming I am here, the time is near. Do not follow them. And you hear that warning in different ways and shades through scripture. In other words, be very, very cautious about people who claim to know the time of the end. Now, even in my time in uh, 1990, when I was first in Moore College, uh, there was a Korean sect up in the Gladesville area who were predicting the end of the world. And they said, it's this time, he's coming back. And there was a very cheeky youth minister named George Atheos. Um, and he went to them and said, so you think this is when the end of the world's going to happen? And they said, yes. And you're certain of this? Yes. So you won't need your property after that? No. 
He said, I'm just getting some legal documents drawn up. Would you mind donating it to the church and make it effective for the day after this return of the Lord Jesus? Well, the conversation ended there. And as we know, he's not returned. Be very careful. Now, what's interesting, having said, watch out for people deceiving you. In verse 25, he says, There'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. And people have read this verse and I think they think we can kind of read history and that there's signs out there. And you may have heard different things through different parts of history for those who are older. The Cold War was something uh, where people were very interested in what was happening and were reading from books in the Old Testament and say, yes, this is what's happening, it's happening very soon. I've heard it from friends that are uh, from different parts of the world and I think, yes, it would be great. I'd love if Jesus came back. I really would, but I don't know if that's the reason why he's coming back. But what do we do with that? Signs in the sun, moon and stars. This is what I do with it. I think um, this event will be so big. You think of the Lord Jesus, the ruler and creator of this world, returning. It is not just a this earth event. This earth is part of a massive cosmos. When he returns, the whole of creation, which is not just this earth, it's the whole of the cosmos, will herald his arriving. And I imagine immediately preceding it, there will be an incredible array of, if I can say, I'm not quite sure what, I'm kind of speechless at the thought of it, that the whole cosmos will herald his arrival and it will be spectacular. You know, fireworks on the harbour, I was very kindly invited onto the boat this year and uh, it was fantastic. Let me just say, that's just like a five-year-old playing with matches. It's nothing compared to what you'll see on this day because it will happen very quickly. Have a look at verse 34 and 35. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. And here's the thing. Um, watch out, people don't deceive you. It will be preceded by some cosmic signs, but it's actually going to happen very quickly and surprise people. Just like a trumpet blast to herald someone is coming into church of great significance. If I could put that, not that that would ever happen, but you can imagine that, that the trumpets blast and royalty turn up. Well, the, the cosmos will blast and Jesus will turn up and it will be quick, it will surprise. And as Luke records Jesus saying, people will be caught like in a trap. Uh, elsewhere, we're told it's like a thief in the night that arrives. And I say that because we don't know when the end will come. We do not know. And that's the reality of life. The end will come surprisingly quickly. Uh, my old Bishop Reg Piper, very, very godly man, used to have a plaque on his wall that simply said these words, maybe today. And it was his reminder that maybe today the Lord Jesus might return. And he wanted to be ready every day. And if Jesus didn't return, well, he would just be about his business serving him. But if he did, he would be ready. And friends, I don't know how Steve's death, 
Steve Fletcher's death has affected you, but one of the things that struck me was this. Uh, I've done funerals for varieties of people. Um, Though there is a great sadness when someone is 80 dies, there's a naturalness to it. There's a reality to life that we go, yes, uh, life does end. I've done a funeral for an 11-year-old girl who dropped dead in the playground. She had a congenital heart disease and got a virus and she died. Uh, She would never have been able to be saved. I've done one for a 21-year-old on the first day of her graduate work, having completed university. She woke up ready to go to the office in Canberra, having relocated from Wollongong, and she woke up and died. And those two were incredibly tragic. Steve's death is incredibly tragic. But what struck me, and I think what's been sobering for all of us is, um, Steve is my age, and I don't think I'm ready. And I think every person in that funeral room who, uh, at the church that day would say the same thing. And I say that to illustrate the point. Um, you just never know when the end will come. There is a reality to life that we must be ready now, not later. And we've got to get our books in order of our life now not later. The most wonderful thing about Steve was he lived life for Jesus. And so he was ready. And he's with the Lord now. And he was ready to meet him, though I suspect strongly that's the last thing he thought would happen at his personal training session with the group that morning. And so, friends, how do you get ready for the end? You make your peace with God and you follow the Lord Jesus every day. In this passage, there's a couple of things. I want to finish with them. Jesus says, stand firm under persecution, verse 12. He says, they'll seize you and persecute you, talking about the disciples. They'll hand you over to synagogues, put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. And he goes on to say there will be difficult times that will happen to you. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you defend yourself. There's a reality of opposition to the Christian faith and following Jesus in this world. That's why he's coming back. He's coming back to renew all things and to sort out evil and to call home those who call him Lord and to renew all things. It will be the goal of history when Jesus finally reigns on the throne as heaven descends to earth. It will be a great and glorious day. But we stand firm in this world serving him whatever happens, even at the cost of persecution, even at the cost of opposition. We stand firm and we make it our resolve we will serve the Lord Jesus every day no matter what happens. And we keep speaking up for Jesus. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourself, for I will give you words and wisdom. And you can see Jesus saying to them, whatever happens, before I come back, before the end arrives, you must stand for me, you must keep speaking for me. And then lastly, you must keep living for me. Be careful, verse 34, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and anxieties. And there are three very interesting, if I can say, words to describe why people fall away 
from the living God, carousing, caught up in the whole sense of partying. And there's no doubt that is a great trap for people here in Manly, that we just think partying and life is about me and having fun. Drunkenness, if I could broaden that to addiction, substance, dependence, sorry, substance, dependence and addiction. It destroys us. But alongside that anxiety, it's fascinating. You see, substance abuse and dependence is just as debilitating as worry. And we're not to be anxious and let that destroy us as we worry about our life in this world rather we're to look to heaven and trust in God for him to be our provider and then get on and serve Jesus every day. Every day wake up and dedicate your life to him and his service. Be it as a mother, be it as a teacher, be it as a student, be it as someone in the workforce, um, be it as someone who's a missionary, someone who's a minister, whatever it is. Every day is to be lived for the Lord Jesus as if he might return this day as if it might be our last. And we should finish every day thanking God for the day we've just had to serve him and that day that he has blessed us with. And we should look to doing that again every day, knowing that one day he might return. And I want to ask you the simple question, if the end came today, would you be ready? Or are there things that you need to sort out in your life, either coming to the Lord Jesus and taking hold of him. Perhaps you're here and you're not quite sure about this whole Christian faith. I know this is a topic that kind of sounds a bit extreme at one level. I'd invite you to come next week to the Simply Christianity group and explore it and find out what we're talking about in greater depth and with a smaller group where you can ask questions. Or perhaps today you know the Lord Jesus but you're not ready to meet him. Friends, don't leave here today without doing business with God so that you're ready to meet him any day and every day. Why don't we spend some time praying before we have our closing song.